going into the break, what does it mean that Carolina and David Tepper is interviewing coordinators, defensive coordinators? Brian wrote in, 704-570-9610, the Garage Door Guru text line. He wrote in, it sounds like they've already found their guy at head coach, and they want to get the defensive coordinator out of the way at the same time. That's astute. Stanford P. wrote in that it means Ben Johnson is your coach, and he's given you a list of DCs that he likes, and we can kind of infer about that because we did get the report over the weekend. Joe Person in The Athletic, going to him a lot, being on top of this coaching search. He said this, quote, The buzz in league circles is that Tepper is enamored with Johnson, whose innovative schemes helped the Lions finish fifth in the NFL in scoring offense and total offense in his first season as offensive coordinator. He's also somebody that has North Carolina ties, degrees from UNC in math and computer science, if you wanted to know some of the uh, degrees that he was able to get in Chapel Hill. So, you know, Ben Johnson has been someone that has garnered a lot of interest from across the league, but it seems like he is the favorite to land this job with Carolina as it stands right now, Wes, is Ben Johnson somebody that you would welcome as the head coach of this Panthers team if that is indeed the move? Yes, I said I like him because I felt like he did more with less just as far as not having a bunch of studs on that offense in Detroit and really making them work. But I'm still not letting this this Sean Payton thing go. It's just that, oh, you know, they're flirting with him. I could just see something like this happening. I mean, they've had a, a pedigreed head coach here before when you think about when George Seifert came here. I mean, George Seifert was a Super Bowl winning coach. He had won a ton of games in San Francisco. Um, and then he came here. So it's just something about this Sean Payton thing, him being the richest owner. I think he won't spare any expense to get a head coach. I could see him really putting all his chips in and landing Sean Payton. So I'm not going to rule that out. I think it could be him or Payton. Well, I think when you're looking at Sean Payton, to me, it, it seems like if there is – so you were granted – permission to interview him so it looks like the saints are willing to part ways because of course they're going to want to get some trade compensation or excuse me some draft compensation in return and so whatever one of these franchises that is willing to deal the most and sean payton would have to sign off on that then there is a route for that to happen plus it looks like sean payton wants to be a high-paid coach shocker 20 million per you know 20 million something like that it would be crazy um, but that's the kind of money that Sean Payton, a guy that has won a Super Bowl before, it's not like there's a ton of them out there in the NFL that he would call for one of the higher paying contracts in the National Football League. So if you have a shot at Sean Payton, then you're going to explore that. It's why you're interviewing Vic Fangio as someone that could come aboard with rumors that he would be the D.C. under Sean Payton. But if you don't get what is probably something considered an outlier, maybe not a probability, but a possibility, then you're going to explore that. But Ben Johnson seems to be your safety valve at this point. Now, you could mess it up with another team coming in to swoop in and and get Ben Johnson before you actually name him the head coach. But apparently they're going to interview Sean Payton later in the week. And then we'll see what happens from there. But I do think that Ben Johnson is the guy that eventually is going to be the head coach. They're interviewing Marquan Manuel, somebody that could come in as the defensive coordinator to me, though, Wes, I don't like that they're interviewing these coordinators. And maybe Ben Johnson is someone that is giving Carolina a list and saying, hey, this is who I want That's you. That's what I think. Well, and, and okay, then that kind of eases my discomfort about this a little more so. But I just, I've talked about this quite a bit. I want the power structure in place. I want David Tepper to oversee everything for sure. But I want Scott Fitterer to be the football guy making the announcement and the decision who's going to be the head coach. And then the head coach 
who is going to be seeing day-to-day practice operations, game day planning. I want him to come up with his staff, and I want him to bring on whoever he wants as the defensive coordinator. So if everybody's on the same page, cool. But if they're not, and David Tepper wants to come in, well, look, what we're going to bring you on, Ben, I really like you as a play caller. I know you might want somebody else. But Vic Fangio has just seen way too much experience in the league. He's seen too much success. We'll bring you aboard. But we did this whole thing with Matt Rule coming in with young coordinators and experienced NFL coordinators. We're not going to do that again. So we'll go with the young guy and Ben Johnson, and then we'll give you the veteran a la Sean McVay and Wade Phillips when McVay was the head coach of the Rams. I'd I'd rather Johnson still be his guy. Like, if you're going to give him the job, give him all the responsibilities of the job, which is picking your staff and allowing to go from there. So a little, a little uneasy with Tepper interviewing some of these coordinators along with the Panthers organization. See, I think... You know, I'm always thinking there's something going on behind the scenes that they're not telling us. And I I believe wholeheartedly that Ben Johnson and Sean Payton have told him, if I come in and coach his team, these are the guys I want. Because we've heard in the interview process that this is how it goes. They ask him, okay, well, what kind of staff potentially would you want to put together? And who would they want at quarterback and things of that nature? They're going to address the pressing issues with the franchise. So I don't think that these defensive coordinator interviews are happening haphazardly. I think that these are guys that the head coaches that they have whittled it down and targeted have told them these are the guys that I would want. It just seems like a weird structure because I'm also trying to wrap my brain around too much power given to these head coaches. Too much power, in my opinion, would be giving them personnel control like you did with Matt Rule. And then you bring in the general manager after the fact. And yet still, Matt Rule contractually has more of the responsibility and more of the say-so. So I don't think that head coach is going to be getting it if you're Ben Johnson. But I do wonder about Sean Payton. If Sean Payton wants to negotiate in his contract, hey, I know you got Scott Fitterer, but I'm a Super Bowl winner. I was one of the longer tenured head coaches in all of the NFL and there was a reason for that. You had the three-year stretch where you go seven and, and seven and nine consecutive seasons. And then he was able to get out of that after a 2017 NFL draft that saw Offensive Rookie of the Year in Alvin Kamara, Defensive Rookie of the Year in Marshawn Lattimore. On top of that, you get an offensive line in Ryan Ramchek. It was a ridiculous draft. You're not going to find a better draft than what the Saints put together in 2017. Quick turnaround. Peyton has a, a resurrection of life as the head coach. But you did have that three-year mediocre stretch. I would put that more so on the defense, not having any talent in the offense, having to do a lot of the carrying. But after that, you know, Sean Payton still has a lot of success to show to David Tepper and everybody else. Maybe he is able to negotiate too much power. Is that something you'd be able to give up if Sean Payton comes in and says, look, I'm going to need I'm going to need more power. Yes. I'm going to need to have yep. say over Take these it. decisions. Yep. Sure. You're, 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 you're going with it. Like I said, I mean, I'm a big fan of Sean Payton's. Yeah. And, um, you know, random, he would pop up around here every now and again. Sean Payton I would pop up. I saw him one time. I didn't know. Where, where at? Complex. Well, because his, his, his wife is from here. Yeah, but they're not married anymore. Sean Payton wouldn't be around here, you know, uh, you, some moves. Did you create some head coach power rankings and tell him where he listed on yours? <laughs> like on, on where your power rankings were? Yeah, man, I I, uh, I wasn't able to tell him that. Okay. But, um, yeah, no, I would give him the power to be able to do it. I mean, he's a guy, I believe, that's earned that through his his 
long tenure as a head coach through his pedigree, through, you know, what he's won. So I think he's a guy that you have to take the gamble and just go all in with it. Mm -hmm. uh, head coaches like this don't come around as often that are available to you uh, every year. So I think that you have to take that chance and roll with it. Um, TC wrote in the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. Has Steve Wilkes interviewed for other jobs? We have not seen that reported. And I think a lot of people have put that against Steve Wilkes. And I'm just not sure what situation is going on there, whether Steve Wilkes wants this job so badly that he's just wanting to figure out clarity here before he interviews for another one. I can't imagine if another franchise really wanted to go after Steve Wilkes that he would not grant that franchise an interview. And so maybe there just isn't a whole lot of interest outside of Carolina because of what he did going six and six. We know Rich Passaccia did not get an NFL head coaching job after what he did with the Raiders last year, despite the players you know, liking what Rich did. The difference is that you have Steve Wilkes growing up here in the city of Charlotte. Is that mitigated? You know, that's something where even, I mean, even Sean Payton's wife, you know, is from here, right? So so you have ties to the Carolina area in a lot of these different candidates. Is is the Steve Wilkes growing up in Charlotte, having been here for the Super Bowl run, it certainly carries more weight than all of the other ties do for the other candidates. But is it mitigated because of some of the other ties that these guys have? Uh, I wouldn't say it's mitigated because still going to high school in a place, growing up in the place that you coach, I still think is very special. So I don't think you having some loose loose ties to a place trumps growing up in a place, going to high school there. I don't think it does. Mm -hmm. And uh, started his coaching career, instead of Johnson C. Smith. So. Yeah, I think the story, you know, I think the story is is interesting with Steve Wilkes here. I don't know if that should have any bearing on whether you should get this head coaching job or not, but I've said it quite a bit. I think he's earned the job and it doesn't mean that I think Ben Johnson would be a bad name in place as the head coach. I think he's a really bright mind. I like going the innovative route. I, I like the offense that he was able to bring. Now there's a lot more responsibility as a head coach than there is to just be the play caller. I always go back to a soundbite that Ron Rivera had. I forget when it was. It was a long time ago. But he discussed, hey, man, as the head coach, you got to make decisions on stuff you didn't even know you had to make decisions on, like the color of the Gatorade that was going to be shared on the sideline. You know, yellow or orange, that's like so far beneath what you should be worried about, but you got to take care of that too, right? You know, you got to take care of so many different things as a head coach that these offensive coordinators, they got to worry about a game plan, player development, working with your quarterbacks. Absolutely. There's a lot that goes into it. I'm not trying to diminish the job, but we know a head coach has all of this. Yeah. It's why it's why I don't necessarily have a problem when a Matt Rule comes aboard and isn't in charge of play calling, especially as a first-time head coach, right? Because we've seen people have success as first-time head coaches that are also calling the plays. Look at Brian Daybowl in the NFL. It's been masterful what he's done with the Giants. But I understand going one way or the other, hey, let's just have a CEO type approach where you're not calling the plays on either side, but you have your imprint, you have your identity, certainly a part of both of those game plans. I, I, I'm cool with either one of these. And so it, it will be interesting to see what happens with Steve Wilkes. And I know a lot of people want maybe a head coach to come on board. Steve Wilkes could be here as the defensive coordinator. But I just think that's going to be too hard as well. I mean, if you're Steve and you want this job, that's hard to give up all this control 
after the guys too, by the way, in the locker room, want you to be the head coach. That just seems like a, a weird power struggle. Even if you come in with the best intentions as a Ben Johnson or whoever would get this job, even if you come in saying, hey, we love Steve, we want him to be a part of this team, and I understand the respect level you guys have as players for him, you know, still it seems like you got to have the head coach get all of that respect. And it, it feels like you're asking for a little bit of trouble and it could work out, but I, I just think it would be too risky in that. In the that, distraction yeah. level would be too high. Like you said, he wants the job really, really bad. Him coming in there, especially if he's seeing things that he doesn't agree with. And not that I would ever think that he would do such a thing, but you know, there's some of the players that really wanted him to be the coach may come and confide in him some things uh, that maybe they shouldn't about the head coach. or uh, So there's just a lot there that I think that if he does not get the job, I think he needs to look elsewhere, and the team should probably look elsewhere uh, to replace him. Even if he was okay with it, I do think it could turn out to be too much of a distraction. And, and, and look, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt. If he's okay with it, then I, I'm cool. I'm cool with it. I think you give that a shot, especially if the players want it. I, and I understand. Again, we just talked about the power struggle, but I, I think if Steve Wilkes, because you have those coaching relationships anyway. I mean, I'm sure you were closer with some coaches here and there that wasn't just the head coach, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I understand players can confide in other guys on the staff that it's not just the head coach. And so maybe that's something you have here. But when it comes from a standpoint where he was the head coach and then he's dropped down a peg and then Ben Johnson, Sean Payton, Mike Kafka, whoever, right, whoever gets that job, he would be the guy that gets that title. I understand how hard that would be for a lot of different parties involved. 704-570-9610. Feel free to text in, share your thoughts and comments. I'm going to go over the NFL playoffs, what we just witnessed this past weekend. We'll do just that coming up next on Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 FM. I don't know if I would call it a debate, but we did have a really important question hit us during the break, and you can text us 704-570-9610. I don't know how we got on it. Oh, here's how I know we got on it. We started talking about what the Mount Rushmore would be for Southern drinks, not necessarily sodas, sweet tea, stuff of that nature. And the reason it came about was because I see Hank Lee put this out there on Twitter. He said, coming soon, Bojangles hard sweet tea will be sold at retailers across North Carolina and Southern and South Carolina, including Harris Teeter, Food Lion and Sheets. Bojangles hard sweet tea. Is that something that would interest either one of you? I'm not a big sweet tea guy, which is something that Fiddy made fun of me because I am from Catawba County. If I'm from Catawba County, yes, I, I've, I've taken flack for it my entire life. But is Bojangles hard sweet tea something you're going to buy once it hits shelves? You're not going to try it well, at all? Well, Fiddy would cut my dog on mic on and I could say something. Uh, no, it would not be something I would buy. Fiddy, that feels like, would you be interested in getting the hard sweet tea? Yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to try it. I one time bought a uh, Deep Eddie's uh, sweet tea vodka. Deep Eddie's? Mm-hmm. Am I going to get clowned for not knowing what that is? It's just, uh, it's a company that makes vodka. Oh, okay. And, and they had a sweet tea brand, uh, flavor. I bought it one time, and uh, it wasn't, 
wasn't too bad. I mean, it got the job done. So, I mean, I'd be interested in trying it. You okay. know? I mean, I think we should try it as a show. Well, I, I would try it. It's not like I hate sweet tea. I'm just not ever going to order it. It's not my favorite by any means out there. I, I'd rather order a lot of different stuff, but it did get us on the debate and the conversation. What would the Mount Rushmore be? Yes, we're already in Mount Rushmore season. I understand that. It's a little early for that in sports radio. But what would Mount Rushmore Southern drinks, best Southern drinks of all time? The, the list I came up with would be sweet tea. I think lemonade is a good Southern drink. I know that people drink it in the North and I get it, but I just feel like that is good homegrown. I feel like that is a, a homemade lemonade is a Southern drink to me. It just, it just feels like it hits that way. I can see way. that. I can so, roll with that. So lemonade, sweet tea, and then I'm going to go with the two sodas and cheer wine and Sundrop. I think that is your Southern drink Mount Rushmore. How are you replacing some of that, and what what drinks are you going to replace See, if you want to take one off? Lemonade is hard because that's my favorite drink overall. So if we're going to add that in, because you didn't say that during the break, you snuck that in. So I <laughs> you will, always ask for limits, Wes. You can take. No, it. you snuck that in on me. about what. About lemonade. I didn't know we were including that in the conversation. That's why I, I didn't know lemonade up. had entered the chat. Lemonade is it's entered the okay, chat. Okay, so you can then do whatever, whatever I will go lemonade over sweet tea, Pepsi. Born in the Carolinas, okay? Raised in a glass. Yes, yes sir. <laughs> Sun drop, cheer wine. Where are you going, Fiddy? I would probably go... Oh, yeah, we got some good ones here. Go oh, ahead I with yours real coming. quick, and then we'll get to the text. I would say uh, Sweet Tea, Cheer Wine, Pepsi, Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer? Really? I feel like that's more Deacon. Wake Forest. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> and, and so people writing in Pepsi, I just feel like Pepsi is way too much of a national brand where I know Sundrop got there. Yeah, but it was here. But I, I know here. that. But Sundrop, it got there, but just within the last like 10 years. I love Sundrop, It's dude. so good. And it, it felt, I mean, that's where I grew up. So when I would go to Indiana, I couldn't get Sundrop. I couldn't get Cheerwine. And so that felt a lot more local to me. But Pepsi, I mean, you can get Pepsi wherever you want, right? As soon as it hits, somebody did write in on her. Arnold yeah. Palmer. Here's one that I feel like I could replace, maybe even yeah. eliminated with. It's Moonshine. Moonshine feels like it needs to be up there on the <laughs> Southern Drink Mount. And I know it's different. I know it's a spirit. Give me Moonshine and the Mount Rushmore as well. I mean, without Moonshine, the smoke blood right. would have a favorite That's sport. Correct. That's correct. That's no. a great point. That's a great point. NASCAR being built off of the very substance that is Moonshine and running that stuff. Yeah, that that should be up there. So I think my new list is Moonshine, Sweet Tea. Sweet Tea has to be it. It's number one, right? Like, it's the first thing I think of when I think of a Southern drink. Yes, I would say for most people, yeah, it is. Because, like, once I get above Virginia, I'm not drinking any tea. Like, you, like, like I, I wouldn't trust them to make the tea right. Mm -hmm. So Sweet Tea is number one for all of us. I think that's going to be widely accepted. And then I'll go Moonshine. And I'm still going Sundrop and Cheerwine. But w which one are y'all You're still going Pepsi over both of those or, or one of the other? I'm well, kicking I have all drop. three. Yeah. Okay. So what are you doing? You're kicking Sundrop. If I had out? to drop one, I'd drop Sundrop. It feels it was, so Carolina to me. Hey, I'm going to drop it because that was the foundational piece of my relationship with my high school sweetheart. Mm -hmm. And, well, she eventually left and never came back. So every time I think <laughs> about Sundrop, it breaks my heart. Oh, no. That's too bad. Granny Pat wrote in uh, Sweet Tea um, with a. Uh, I don't know. I know Granny got that thing. Spike. What is she saying Crackers. here? Crackers. 
Is that what she... Oh, okay. I did not know what that... Well, and you said Coke and peanuts, too. Well, they're putting the peanuts in the bottom of the Coke. Right. That's something that Oh, that's very Southern. It is. That is. I've never done that, but that's very Southern. I don't... See, I, I think a lot of people feel the same way. You, I don't know how many people have tried it. It's and not bad. What does it do, though? What, it just adds a little saltiness into okay. into your soda. Stanford P. had a great text. Mm-hmm. RC Cola and a Moonpine bow. So, so, man, I don't know if this is just the, the Indianapolis in me, but... I don't like moon pies. Oh, they're disgusting. I don't like moon pies either. I felt like that was more widely accepted, too. I don't like moon pies. It is Southern. It's a very, very big Southern Little Debbie snack type feel. But no, I don't like moon pies either. Um, Yeah, R.C. Cole is what Stanford P. wrote in. Trying to think of some other ones here that people are writing in about. Uh, Arnold Palmer, that's getting some some mentions. Pepsi still getting those mentions. Um, Yeah, so it looks like those are the ones that people are rolling with. Again, 704-570. 9610. All right, let's talk about the NFL playoffs. What happened this past weekend? I mean, Jacksonville coming back, we started off with a bang on Saturday, at least when we got to the last game of that evening. Why I, we talked about it. It never felt to me that Jacksonville was completely out of it, especially once the Jags scored a touchdown right before the end of the first half. And yet, Trevor Lawrence, you find a way, they get the job done, and the Jags are moving on. How crazy was that game, um, watching the Chargers go down the way they did, Wes? Well, first of all, what we're not going to do is just gloss over what happened at 4.30. Okay, we're not going to do that and what just go straight to Jacksonville. Was there a playoff game Decimation on? happened at 4.30. In the second half? Nine statement happened. At 4.30. In the second half. Christian McCaffrey looking like he played for the Panthers in year two or three. Happened. Okay. Mm. Utter destruction. They're ready to go. Okay. So that's what happened. So, so ready so to San go Fran- home. San Francisco is ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Ready to rock and roll. Yeah. The first half I was a little aggravated, especially when Shanahan kicked that squib kick before the half. And then uh, Chavarius Ward got that bad uh, thing. And you see he was getting eaten up by DK Metcalf. Shut down corners don't exist. So anyway, so because your guy got cooked now, I'm right, just saying, I'm it, just saying it, right. it happens. Okay. Um, but anyway, no, no, no. I knew when Jacksonville, something told me just to tune in for the second half. I knew that with um, them being the Chargers being up plus four in the turnover margin, you're supposed to blow a team out in that scenario. When they made it 27 to 14, I said, we got a game. Once they got to 30, 26, I said, there's nothing the Chargers can do at this point to stop the inevitable which is going to happen. And when Thanos said that at the end of, or you might not, because you I don't know. When oh, Thanos yeah, said, I am inevitable. And then snap them fingers. And excitement. that's what Trevor Lawrence did. My boy Clemson power was in full effect. Not that I'm a Clemson alum, but love Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. They bought out. That was a historic comeback and awesome to watch. Do you think the Chargers sideline knew they were losing that game? Like, think, like, like, do you think they went into the locker room knowing only up 27 to seven? I mean, we losing. It it looked bad because we know that the Chargers are so so prone to this. We know that it, it was always the joke that no matter what, you knew the game was going to come down to Philip Rivers needing 80 yards <laughs> and trying to find a way to bring his team down the field, and with just one touchdown to score, and eventually you'd miss a field goal, or maybe you're down a field goal and you miss it. We know that the drama at the end of the games yeah. always goes against the Chargers, and exact it's exactly how it played out yep. here against the Jacksonville Jags. Yeah. Doug Peterson, excellent job this season after undergoing some problems at the beginning of yeah. the year. Right, we have went then, to the Waffle House post game. Oh. Uh, 
you got to love it. But it was great games all weekend. The Giants, that game was great. I mean, they look like a team. The Giants are one of those teams that when they get in the playoffs, they're rarely one and done. They get in there and make noise. And I'm also just saying it right here, right now. Sorry, Philly fans, but I'm picking the Giants this weekend to what? go in there and beat Philadelphia. Well, hold on, Wes. Is this the team that you're feeling the best about, given what your expectations were heading into the postseason? Or did you already have some belief in the oh, Giants? Are we minus the 49ers? Yes. <laughs> Um, no, no, no. I, I would say the Chiefs are probably the team I'm the most confident in outside of San Francisco. I don't think, I don't see anybody beating them in the AFC. What about from teams that you saw this week? From teams that I saw this weekend, no, I, I can't say. I, I thought Minnesota would take care of business. Um, but outside of the 49ers, I will probably have to say, I felt pretty confident that Jacksonville would get the job done. Um, but I would say the mm-hmm. most, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with Jacksonville because that Cincinnati game turned out to be better than I thought it would be. It absolutely did. Well, and even, look, San Francisco and Seattle being close in the first half, that was, I thought, okay, I, I look, I, I thought it was going to be closer overall, and I thought I was going to be I proven right. I did too. And then eventually, yeah, right, San Francisco pulls away. Brock Purdy throws for 330 yards. Christian McCaffrey runs all over the place, so they figured things out. But I thought that was going to be closer, and I didn't expect Buffalo-Miami to be that close. Yes. So, at home, Buffalo wins by three, and then we have the Mike McDaniel situation where he's not ready for a fourth down call he thinks he's calling a first down play no mike it's a fourth down call uh delay of game eventually you lose on that fourth and six so i want to go around the room do you give more credit to miami and specifically mike mcdaniel for being this close on the road against buffalo with skylar thompson or do you look at that decision alone in crunch time Huge decision to be made where they obviously botch it. What do you think is the bigger storyline? Being that close in the first place or botching it at the end because they weren't able to get a play in on time on fourth and one? Uh, I think the bigger story is botching it at the end because the Dolphins had a chance. Now, I didn't expect the game to be that close, but there we go with another one of those geniuses uh, having a genius moment when they're doing all that motion and all that stuff and it causes you to get a delayed game. But I thought it was very damning to me that the Bills, you know, I'm big intangibles guy, stuff like that, motion and all of that. And for DeMar Hamlin to come in and visit them, I thought they would just run rough shot over them. They looked very sloppy. Josh Allen did not look ready for that moment. I've been saying it all year. I have not been a believer in the Bills, and that first game just gave me more uh, credit to think that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I said leading all week into it that I don't think Buffalo is a legitimate threat and a contender to win the AFC. I think... Cincinnati's better than them, and that would have been proven on that field on Monday night had that game not been paused. I know they beat Kansas City, but Kansas City, I think right now, would beat them by two scores or more because Josh Allen is is a modern-day – Jeff Ricker said this yesterday. He's a modern-day Brett Favre. He can do a lot of crazy, spectacular things on a football field. He's also going to turn the ball over. He doesn't value possessions in the postseason. Those Those things matter. They, they should have won that game by three scores, the problem not is, by three points. The problem is I go back to the Kansas City game just last year, and it was obviously not because of Josh Allen that they lost to Kansas City. Pat Mahomes, a better quarterback overall, he made a play with 13 seconds left. Josh Allen was not playing defense. I go to that game and say, okay, when the time comes to it, he is ready to put some points on, on the board in a very quick hurry and able to lead his team as best as he can. But I also go back a couple of years ago 
probably not fair because you see maturation at that spot. But I just always think of the deep pass against the Houston Texans, where eventually Deshaun Watson leads them to a victory in that game a couple years back. But Josh Allen throws a Hail Mary to their fullback, Patrick DeMarco, in yeah. double coverage. Like, that is that is the play I think of as the worst throw, the worst you know, bleep it throw I've seen in the postseason. I, I feel like he won me over a little bit with that game against Kansas City last year. Still afraid to pick against the Buffalo Bills with all that talent. Yeah, and we also got to give a shout-out. First of all, I want to talk my ACC talk with the ACC quarterbacks representing, okay, Daniel Jones, Queen City native Mm -hmm. out there balling. Man, I didn't expect that either. I think that was the most surprising performance of the weekend of any player was Danny Dimes going, I think, uh, I know he was over 300 passing, what he had, three touchdowns, and then he had like 70 something rushing yards or something like that? 301 passing yards, 78 rushing yards, and he led that team to a 31 24 victory over Minnesota, and he had a couple of touchdown passes and uh, no rushing touchdowns. Those belong to Saquon Barkley on just nine carries in this game, by the way. Yeah, man. But they were riding Daniel Jones. And it's pretty cool Cool seeing guys that I interviewed and have VODs for on theaccdn.com playing in the NFL and balling like Derwin James, like Daniel Jones, and, you know, Trevor Lawrence and the crew. Not to be, you know, humble bragging, but it's pretty cool seeing that. But Daniel Jones, like I said, really surprised me. If he continues to play like that, like I said. He surprised himself. <laughs> if, he, if he plays like that, man, and that's an interesting thing. I thought you might bring that up as far as has my opinion changed or did other people's opinions change on Mike Kafka the way that the Giants were able to go in there and handle business the way they did and look so good offensively because Saquon ran like a monster as well. Well, you present the question. I mean, answer it. No, I'd have to see more. Uh, I, okay. I don't have to see more. But <laughs> I, I typed after the game on Twitter. I put in, I said, I, 49ers, Giants, NFC Championship, throwback. Yeah. Um, Sorry, yeah, Fitty. Well, I mean, watching Minnesota, too, crumble again, it it kind of validates everybody that thought they were frauds. The fact that they had to come back so many times in the fourth quarter, in the second half, once you were going to be facing good competition every single week, where the worst team in the playoffs, probably Tampa Bay, maybe that was the only team you could see that happening against. But even with the Giants not having as much talent as you would think everybody else has, still a well-coached football team. Daniel Jones really coming on strong in Minnesota. They lose by... Their receiver's starting to come on, too. Yeah, absolutely. Losing by a touchdown. So that was also uh, a really important outcome that took place this postseason. Didn't get to Cincinnati, Baltimore um, nearly as much. And I did want to get to Tom Brady presser because it was kind of interesting, but we can uh, talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Right now, it's time for the second Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? Well, I got your uh, your back, Big Slim, because we're going to go to that Tom Brady press conference. And he addressed his football future after his season came to an end last night with a playoff loss at home to the Dallas Cowboys. What is your process from here when you start to think about what you want to do next? I'm going to go home and get a good night's sleep as good as I can tonight. And, and uh, or, you know, you want to take a step out? I mean, no, I'm not. You know, I, this has been a lot of focus on, you know, this game. So, yeah, it's just be one day at a time, truly. He gave a weird answer, too, after the press conference. Not even a weird answer, but he said thank you to all of the media. It felt very farewelly, whether it be for Tampa Bay or whether it be in the NFL altogether. I heard Stephen A. Smith 
you know, whatever whatever credence you want to put into this, but Stephen A. Smith earlier on first take was saying what he's hearing is that either Tom Brady's going to hang it up or is that he's going to go to the Las Vegas Raiders, which would make some sense having that connection with Josh McDaniels going back to Northern California where he's from. Well, not Northern California, but going back that way to go play in Las Vegas. So maybe that happens, but it seemed like a farewell presser at the very end, losing to the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think he's going to go back to Tampa next season. I don't think so either, and I'm fully here with Tom in that black and silver. That would be fantastic uh, just to see him out there for a season, maybe two seasons with the Raiders, see what they could do. I'm sure Devontae Adams would welcome that, but that would be really, really cool. And I think if he goes there, I will for sure Mm -hmm. get that Brady Raiders. You're going to get the jersey? Oh, if he goes to the Raiders, for sure. Aren't they rivals of the Niners? Yeah, but not really. I mean, they are like in theory. I know Niners fans don't like Raiders fans, but they don't play enough to me and haven't had any, enough important moments over the last hell since I've been watching the 49ers. There hasn't been a vital game played against the Raiders since I've been watching them, so I don't well, look at them as th- such. There's one that I, there's two I can think of. They okay. were both in the early 2000s. One was the Tuck Rule against the very man we're discussing in Tom Brady, where oh no, I was talking Niners Raiders. Oh, and those just those two specific yeah, parties. Yeah, yeah, I was but saying them playing each other. Even, even with the Raiders specifically, though, like then you can have the Super Bowl where they would lose to Tampa Bay and just get destroyed. Rich Gannon as the quarterback yeah, all the bad. way in 0203, I believe. All right, that'll do it for the second Fitty Flash. We'll come back. We'll look at the Charlotte Hornets. They lose their second straight game to the Boston Celtics. We'll recap it all. Weston Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 FM. excited by the music that was playing and i think we just had somebody walk by look at you dancing the way you were you were just throwing your hands up like the wacky wailing inflatable arm flailing tube man and then the guy looks at you and just kind of gives a a smile an eyebrow raise and keeps on walking but i'm glad to see you happy you said you were in a good mood today yeah i also had my guy coming out of the wbt studio uh who's also a dallas fan and we were exchanging you know congrats you know celebrating that that ass kicking. Did you give like thumbs up or just nods? Did you not see me like point at him? No, I just saw you dancing. That's he, all I saw. Is he going to be the one planning a show on WBT? I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, he, he does a really good job over there. And uh, yeah, he's still here when we get off the air at three. There's going to come a day where I'm just going to transition, go down the hall, be on there with Brett Winterbull yelling about... Uh, Whatever. Politics. Yeah, of course. <laughs> How to make this country great again is what you're going to do when Ooh. you go over there. And so, <laughs> don't you loop me in with the I was about to say, boy, he I almost did. got you. No, I did. I, I did. Honestly, I didn't even mean to go with the slogan. Mm-hmm. I was just, I really just was using another just normal defamation words. of my character. That's correct. Yes, it's sue me. <laughs> sue me. It might make the show a little awkward if we have a lawsuit going on between us, but maybe it would be entertaining radio. Maybe we can it do that. It would be. All right. It would be like WWE where we rope in all personal. Yep. Stories into storyline. Speaking of that, Wes, yes. don't get your hopes too high. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But the guy who used to occupy this uh, this time slot, Nick Wilson, mm-hmm. texted me uh, yesterday mm-hmm. that uh, Vic Joseph, a guy that uh, handles some WWE stars, might be reaching out to have some people on here to promote a local event here in Charlotte. So uh, I'll keep you posted. Oh, as, I guess as, that's the uh, NXT joint. 
Mm-hmm. No. Don't ask me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> great time for you to audition by throwing Walker through a table and commentating it. Yeah, man. You guys keep saying throw somebody through the table. It's actually mm-hmm. you put them through the table. You slam them through the table. There were some matches this weekend on wrestling, AW, and I mean, they were ridiculous. People going through tables off chairs, barbed wire, nails. Mm. Oh, it was. Mm. Well, let's be clear. You say you guys. There's only one guy saying that you need to throw somebody <laughs> through a table, and that's Fitty. I don't know the right terminology. Yeah, you I don't want to be thrown through a table. Yeah, you got to put them through the table. It Slam would be, them. It would be a nice audition for you to try to figure out a way we can get you announcing in the sport. Is it still WWE? Yes. That's what it is, right? Yes. It WWF. From WWF. And, and when, how long did that last? Uh, well, it lasted for a long time, but then, you know, the animal rights group was named WWF, and that's who oh, yes. sued them, and that's why they had to change it. With the panda logo. Yes. We're yes. talking about PETA. No, not PETA. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nah, that's why they had to, to get rid of it. The exact opposite. I remember the zoo magazines that WWF yeah, came out with. I watched with. that uh, Ric Flair documentary this weekend. Well, another thing. Well, now we're getting confused. Now we're talking wrestling, and I'm talking animals because yeah. zoo it's magazine. Yeah. It, 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 Nerd. It, 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 100%. It's the guy that went to the fish store on Friday to, to <laughs> celebrate a good week of shows. Yeah, the Ric Flair documentary was fire. I haven't seen it, it yet. just came out. It's on Peacock. It's called Woo. Yeah, <laughs> I it was. That was good. Yeah, this man said real quick. This man said. This man said that when he went to rehab, when he went through the stuff after his son, he said that uh, Triple H called him and told him he needed to go to rehab. This man said when he before he went to rehab, he got a six pack before he got on the plane. He had. He said he had a three hour wait for his plane. He said he had ten double shot tequila drink. Mm-hmm. Then he had uh, eight Bloody Marys on the plane and a six-pack when he got off. Yeah, I'm dead after that. <laughs> I was like, it's a lot what? of alcohol. But that- he had said on his 30 for 30, he had over he had 18 drinks, 18 plus drinks a day for over 30 years. No, I don't doubt it. What were you laughing? I I was laughing at you. What did you? You couldn't get out your joke. It didn't feel like. What did you say that got you laughing so hard? Me? Yes. No, I was laughing at Wes saying it is called woo. Uh, when he was talking right. about the documentary, like I thought there were to be like a lot of emphasis on the oh, woo! and he was just like, "It's called Woo." Yeah, it is. It's not the most glowing review of the title or the or the uh, the most exciting way to say it. I haven't seen either one of these though. Any of the Ric Flair documentaries? Oh, you should watch. It's fantastic. Show movie night. Is that what you want to do at your house, Fitty? Yeah, thirty for thirty and a new one. I've been wrestling the idea if I want to watch those documentaries. Right. Or oh, I need to stop it. Okay. Goodness gracious. We see what you did there. Uh-huh. 100%. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92. The Hornets wrestled with the Celtics yesterday and got put through a table by Jason Tatum. They did. <laughs> that is that is what happened yesterday. You could have caught it right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Jason Tatum goes for 51 points. If you've watched their past games against the Celtics, the last four, has seen Jason Tatum go for 51 yesterday. On MLK Day, tying, by the way, Kimba Walker's MLK Day output a few years back. So 51 points for Jason Tatum, 14 of 14 from the free throw line. He scored 33, 31, and then 44 the last four games. If you go over the last five games against the Hornets, Jason Tatum is a perfect 32 of 32 from the free throw line, including the 14 of 14 performance he just put on yesterday. It feels like guys are just 
destroying Charlotte because they don't have a lot of defense. Is this the get right team for some of the stars and not even just the get right team, but is this just a team where some of the stars can come in, beat up on the Hornets and enhance the stats? Well, quoting my son, there's no question about it. Okay. Guys are just having, because we had those games in, in high school and sometimes in college, depending on who you play, you're like, oh, this is going to be the highlight game. Because me as an offensive lineman, I'd say, you know, I can't wait to just block my guy and see what other guys are going to be doing when they get the ball. And that's what it's turning into with the Hornets. We look at what Jokic did with the ridiculous triple-double uh, that he put up that was Chamberlain-esque. Then you look at what Joel Embiid did. What did he do? 53. And then LeBron going 48. And then yesterday, Jason Tatum going 51. I mean, it's like guys are just lining up at their chance to just have career nights against the Hornets. And it just didn't – it seemed like whatever they did, because you went to the game, I watched it later that day, went back and rewatched. And, I mean, the defenses, they were running at him. It didn't matter. They were trying to trap him, get the ball out of his hand. He would find whatever way to go to get through it, split the double team. He was spinning, cutting. He was doing it all. Yeah, he was amazing. They had no answers for what he was trying to do. And then if their defense did somewhat succeed, he would take so much attention because I remember he kicked 1-3 to um, the kid with the little baby fro. I forgot his name, number nine. Derek White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kicked it over to him <laughs> after he drew fro. three <laughs> Hornets defenders driving to the basket. Man, he had total control of that game. And, I mean, his to his jump shot is just textbook. Well, you're, you're going to make fun of me, but the only success they had at all was when Dennis Smith Jr. was guarding him. But even then, it wasn't success. Well, Dennis Smith didn't have a lot of success shooting a three, though. No, he's not. Offensively, it's gone downhill. And that's a problem. Well, the whole bench. And that's a problem, right? Yeah, they got killed on the bench. You know, it's unfortunate. Dennis Smith Jr., I I liked the signing at the beginning. You know, we joke about me putting him in the Hall of Fame. I still think defensively, he's actually still been a very, very special player that end, right? But no doubt. 0-4 from three-point line. Teams aren't defending him out there on the perimeter. You can see a concerted effort to stay back. Because, I mean... DSJ, even when he has a lot of space, there was one time he was real decisive and then drives baseline despite there being a good, what, four feet of separation and then still you know, passing his guy in order to get to the rim. Um, and that's the only way he can attack. But that can't happen every possession. Goes three of ten. We got some really good Mark Williams minutes in this one. Three of four from the field. I think defensively he matters. He got the he minutes in ex- an exchange for Nick Richards. The rhythm jumper from the baseline. Running in transition, slamming it home. The motor is there. I love what you're getting from Mark Williams. But Jason Tatum was the score, uh, story, scoring 51 points. Before we go to the last hour here, Wes, being there at the Spectrum Center, a mm-hmm. lot of Boston Celtics fans there. Lots of Jason Tatum jerseys. The, the Celtics fans that were there, you saw one Taco Fall jersey. You saw one Adrian Griffin jersey. Yes, that's right. Number 91. <laughs> yeah. But you saw a lot of Jason Tatum jerseys and those same jerseys along all the fans were screaming MVP MVP every time he would go to the free throw line. And we had a little bit of a battle between Hornets fans and the nosebleeds screaming out, you know, booze at Jason Tatum at the foul line. Tatum MVP chance were winning. But at the end of the game, Tatum hits both of the three pointers that separated themselves from the Charlotte Hornets and the crowd erupted. And it was as loud as I had heard, certainly the crowd that entire day. And maybe I don't need the caveat of altogether. Certainly the loudest I've heard the opposition, but maybe Mm -hmm. I don't even need that caveat. 
What do you make of the Hornet Stadium being infiltrated so much by all these Boston Celtics? Yeah, and I mean, I, and I and I beg that question too because you talk about the Panthers when they have some of the flagship franchises that come in, and we've heard Mac and them talk about not selling tickets, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's one of the key pieces to the Charlotte franchises taking the next step and really becoming uh, not only winning franchises but just just being getting the respect as a fan base because it's just ridiculous that Tatum had the loudest cheers. It sounded like they were at Boston. I almost wanted to call it Boston South. And then, too, just the mentality thing. At the end of the game, I know it's over, and I know these NBA players, they have so much camaraderie with each other. It makes you want to throw up. And for them to just let Tatum when everybody – I do, and, and <laughs> when you're in between the lines, I can't stand it. The Hornets knew he was going to take that shot to get 50. What was the pride of to say, you're not getting that here? I don't care if we got to run three people at you. You're not getting 50 in here. And that's the problem. It, right there. You let the guy come down. Melo jumped at the shot. But where was anybody else to say, no, 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 not tonight. You're not getting 50 in here. And and I thought that was just, you know, just one of the fundamental reasons the Hornets are where they're at. I know the injuries and all that stuff. But just a mentality that, man, you're not coming in here embarrassing us and our arena. Because that was embarrassing when he hit that shot to go over 50. Then, like I said, the crowd is being so pro-Celtics. And this season, it's just been a parade of any team that comes in here that is good, their fans take over the building. And I get the Hornets record, et cetera. But there are some fan bases, believe it or not, that even when their team is bad, they show up, they cheer, they're ready. I mean, the Hornets were like that at the beginning of the franchise. I know they won the attendance record like or set attendance record oh, yeah. like their first five, six seasons. That has to come back. Like, you know, you want to make guys want to come here and give them maybe some extra incentive to want to come here and things like that. Like, make this place a tough place to play because it's just not. So, I want to get back to that in a couple of segments. We'll, we'll do the defensive coordinator coaching profiles, but we're up against a break. I want to talk about Steve Wilkes here again coming up in the next segment. But we will get back to the Charlotte Hornets. Brian Windhorst, a lot of sound bites that we got from him in our interview with him on Friday. You can check that interview out on our website, WFNZ.com. It's the 2 o'clock hour up next. Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 FM.